Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a study in the book of Ecclesiastes called Unsatisfied, The Search for Meaning. We're learning that chasing after satisfaction apart from God will leave us empty. Thanks for joining us. I want to begin by asking you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've never done that before, let me help you find it. If you open a Bible about halfway, it's usually the book of Psalms. And then if you go to your right, there's Proverbs, and then there's Ecclesiastes. If you're using a black Bible, it's on page 461. And we're going to look at the first 18 verses of this book today. And uh, the series we've entitled is called Un, in brackets, Satisfied, this idea of this search for meaning. And so as you're turning there, again, uh, I'll invite you to uh, multitask if you can, because the first line of the notes is this, Ecclesiastes is about the search for meaning and satisfaction. Ecclesiastes is about one man's search for meaning and satisfaction. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. I did several years ago. It's a fascinating book. Viktor Frankl was a contemporary of Dr. Sigmund Freud. He also was a psychologist, and he was in Vienna at the same time as Dr. Freud. What happened is, is when the Nazi uh, regime came in, because uh, Dr. Frankel was Jewish, he had everything taken away from him, including his family, all of his wealth, even his wedding ring. When he had everything stripped away, he was suddenly at a place where he said, okay, where is meaning now? What, what still matters? And as he began to work through that and began to help other prisoners, Figure out where meaning comes from when everything you have in life that you've had security in is taken away. What do you do then? And it's a fascinating book. And it just reminds me that all of us want to make sure there's meaning in our lives. And so this book is really a powerful book to study. But I want to be honest in the beginning, it's not an easy book to read. As we just saw, it's pretty involved here. And so we're going to walk through it together. And what I want you to see also is that Ecclesiastes, if you're following along, is wisdom literature that makes us feel uneasy. Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature that makes us feel uneasy. If you've never studied this part of the Bible, this is a different kind of genre. It's not like a letter that someone writes to a church. It's not like apocalyptic literature at the end. It's not like some of the law books of the Bible. This is wisdom literature. Books like Proverbs, Job, Song of Songs. This is one of those books. And so it follows Proverbs. Now let me just try and explain what I mean that it makes you feel uneasy if you haven't read the book before. Proverbs gives all kinds of probabilities short little sayings that say, this is what usually happens. So, a famous one. Train up your child in the way he should go or she should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Some people have said, that's a promise, a guarantee from God. No, it's a proverb. It's a probability that if you take that path, here is what's likely to happen. But Ecclesiastes comes along and says, what about when that doesn't happen? It talks about the exceptions. Proverbs about the probabilities. Ecclesiastes is about the exceptions. And so it says, what do you do then? That's a hard reality. What happens if your child never grows up and comes back to the Lord? What do you do then? Those are difficult things to deal with. And when we start getting into that territory, most of us go, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't even want to think about that. 
Why? Because it makes us all uneasy. And so this book will go to the hard places, and it will not just let us say, well, let's sugarcoat that and just act like it's not true. The other thing that I want you to see as we start is that Solomon, and again, you saw in the video that he said there are several possibilities of who the author might be. I lean towards Solomon. I believe that even the first verse that says the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, as we'll see, fits the case for Solomon, but also some of the autobiographical things that'll be shared by the teacher, I think fits that. But if you're following along, Solomon the teacher asks hard questions to goad us, G-O-A-D. The teacher asks hard questions to goad us. There's 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes, and if you go to the last chapter, look at what verse 11 says there. It says, the words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Now here's in the New Living Translation, it says this, the words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Have you ever seen a goad? I think I've shared this in other sermons in the past, but a goad was used, again, uh, with livestock. It was a long stick with a sharp end, and uh, here's a picture of someone uh, that's pushing, uh, excuse me, plowing with oxen, and he's also got a stick in his other hand so that he can just keep moving them along. It's kind of a motivator, if you know what I'm talking about. But it's not a pleasant motivator at the time. Some of us know that in, in the book of Acts, when uh, the apostle Saul, who became Paul, first encounters Christ, Christ says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he says this sentence, why do you kick against the goads? He's saying, you know, I'm trying to get your attention, and you're, you're, you're pushing back. You're kicking against it. It's only going to hurt you more. Let the goads serve their purpose, is what he's saying. And so this idea is that Solomon takes this unorthodox approach of talking about the hard realities to goad us, to push us to a place that we would probably not want to go if someone wasn't pushing us because it's just in our nature not to go to those hard places. Tim Keller writes this, Ecclesiastes is not the place we find answers. It's the rest of the Bible we find answers. This man's job is to push you to the logical conclusion of your position. This man's job is to lay bare the foundations of your life, to push you to the boundaries of your thought, to say, why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? If you believe that, do you see what that leads to? Do you see what that leads to? Push you because he knows that none of us have the spiritual or intellectual guts to really look and ask the question, why, 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 about everything we do and everything we believe. The teacher brings you the questions philosophers have wrestled with for ages. It's the most contemporary possible book. And I agree. And I am so thankful we're studying this book uh, this fall. And I want to say this as a church family, because we regularly say we're fighting shallow Christianity, this is going to test us. We are so tempted not to go to the hard, the deep places in life, or we're tempted that if we get anywhere close to that to give sugar-coated answers. And I pray that we will not be a church that when we leave these doors and go out into the public and we encounter people that are wrestling with these hard questions, 
that we will be inhospitable to them or act like Job's friends that give easy answers that are probabilities but don't deal with the exceptions. We've got to be more humble about these hard realities, and Ecclesiastes can train us in this. And so this could be a great time, and I can just say that by reading this book over and over again, I've been surprised at what's begun to happen in me. Because at first, you think, oh my goodness, this is going to send me into depression. Actually, what it's done is it leads me to even greater hope. It's prodded me. It's goaded me. And I'm praying the same thing will happen for you. So again, let me pray. And then we're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes as we make our way through it. Lord, thank you so much that you have different ways of making us wise and teaching us the truth. And one of those, even though we wouldn't choose it, is to goad us. We pray, O oh Lord, that we will not kick against the goats, but that we will learn the lessons you want us to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we talk about facing the hard realities of life. What are we talking about? As you study this book with me, as we look at this together, here's some of the realities he's gonna confront us with. They've already been mentioned in the video, but here they are. Realities like death, if you're following along. Realities like death, evil, and unexpected tragedy. Reality is like death, evil, and unexpected tra tragedy. Again, these things that just, they interrupt, they mess up all the things that we appreciate and like, and we can't explain, these mysteries, these enigmas, these things that you go, where did that come from? In uh, chapter 9, verse 11, he actually uses this phrase that if all these other things weren't enough, there's things by time and chance that just seem to come to us that we can't explain. And so what he's saying is when those things come to you and they strip away everything else you've been trusting in for your security, what then? What do you do? How do you look at life is ultimately what he's challenging here. How do you see the world? And he's pushing us to think about that more deeply. So let me just mention that in verse two and three, he uses three different phrases that as I've gotten to understand them, they'll repeat themselves in this book, but also they help kind of open a window to understanding his procedure, his method better. So would you read verse two and three with me in Ecclesiastes there in that first gray box out loud, please. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Some of your translations say vanity, vanity. Everything is vanity. And the idea here is that it doesn't mean that, again, there's no order to life. It doesn't mean there's no beauty. What it's saying is, is this word hevel, as we already heard, is used 38 times. What are some of the meanings of it? Let me just, again, serve a few up to you. Uh, the word empty futile, fleeting as a breath. This idea of meaningless means that everything is empty in a way. It's futile. It's fleeting as a breath. Uh, you, the, um, the word hevel in Hebrew uh, actually re requires you to aspirate like this. Hevel. And so it's kind of a picture of saying everything is a breath. Psalm 144, 3 and 4 says this, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. They are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. 
As I was thinking about all this, uh, I was thinking about what my wife does with my, our grandkids. And uh, some of you have seen these before. If I can get this out, I had a hard time in the first service and it looks like I will again. Uh, my wife's the preschool teacher, I should let her do this. Um, so, but you've seen this before? Our grandkids love to chase bubbles. And uh, so when they do it, they um, try and get them before they, they pop. And it's kind of interesting to watch them do that. And again, those bubbles, if you look at them, when the light hits them, they're beautiful. They, they, they're, they're shaped in a way that's just, it's, it's striking. But they're gone. And you say, how do you explain that? What does that mean? How am I supposed to do life if my life is like a soap bubble? Uh, what am I supposed to do with the fleetingness of that? And so, uh, again, Solomon's pressing us. He's, he's challenging us. He's pushing us to say, do you see that hard reality in life is that things go by and they're gone like this. And James says, why do you act like you can plan your whole life? You're, you're nothing but a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. So be careful of overrating yourself like that. Be careful. And um, the idea here is that uh, he asks this next question in light of that. And here's one of the hard questions about the hard realities. You saw it in verse 3. What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? So the word gain, what's he mean by that? Uh, what profit, if you're following along, it means profit, a return, a surplus, something to show for. The word literally means leftover. Like when everything's been stripped away, what's left over? What, do you, what did you accomplish? What return did you get for all of that work, all that you labored and toiled for? What do you have to show for it? Just be honest, he's saying. Where's the gain? Did it actually move anything forward? Did it create anything that ultimately lasts? Hmm. Hard questions. Hard questions. As, have you ever walked in the sand? And I, on some beaches, I've seen this before, depending on the wind and depending on how soft the sand is. You ever walked on, on sand and you turned around and your footprints were gone because the wind erased it? And you say, wait, I, I thought I made a mark. And the mark is gone. And he's just saying, like, what did I gain? What was left over? What, what remained behind? Hmm. And he's struggling with this. If you're following along, here's the third phrase. Under the sun. Do you notice those last three words in verse 3? What do people gain from their labors at which they toil under the sun? Some of you are saying, Jeff, please hurry up. This is getting so depressing. I'm about to lose my mind. <laughs> so here's what I want to say. This phrase, to me, was one of the biggest windows into the book, right here. This phrase, under the sun. What's he describing? He's describing, if you're following along, life on earth, the material, natural world that we can observe. He's describing that place, wherever the sun shines, that world that is seen. You know, that world that our five senses can somehow observe and experience. And he's saying, 
What does a person gain if their only way of seeing the world is life under the sun? And he says, I want to talk to you about that. And friends, this is as modern as the day is long because this is how most people understand life now. There may be nothing beyond life under the sun. Therefore, I want to understand it as best I can because there may not be a God. And if there is no God, if all there is is life under the sun, then I want to figure out how to live life under the sun. And this is what every human being has tried to do from the beginning of time in some way is how do I live life under the sun? And so Solomon says, I'm going to talk to you about that. And I'm going to goad you. I'm going to push you to think about what the ramifications are if that's all there is. So uh, he does two things in the next few verses. In verses 4 through 11, he talks about what, what do we make of all our toil, all our work. And in verses 12 through 18, he talks about, hey, I, I decided to try wisdom to try and make sense out of everything, human wisdom, and here's what I found. So I want to talk to you about that in the next few moments. Let me read verses 4 through 11 next. Remember, the question was, what do we gain from all our labor, labors and toil, our work? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The winds blow to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they, are, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Here, in many ways, he's capsulizing it this way if you're following along. All our work adds nothing new and will not be remembered. Now, when you're reading a verse like this, it says in verse 10, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? If you're like me, the first thing you want to say is, Steve Jobs' iPhone. There it is. He's not saying there's no new inventions. He's not saying he's smarter than that. What he's saying is, is there's no kinds of things we've produced by our work that are not similar to what other people have tried to do in other generations. Other generations have come up with communication tools. The telegraph. We thought that was a big deal. Wow, it's, it's a laugh now. Uh, the iPhone, what is it going to be like 100 years from now? Are we going to laugh when we look at the iPhone? I don't know. But what he's saying is, look, ultimately, there's nothing new when it comes to the patterns of nature and nothing new in terms of what human beings are doing to change their nature. I don't know if you've thought about this. I, I read Elon Musk's biography in the last year. Some of you know who I'm talking about. This guy is a genius. And he, he, has, uh, he is trying things that very few people have the courage or the risk to do. 
He has designed the Tesla car with his team that is a battery-operated car which will change everything. Can you imagine not needing to get an oil change? Can you imagine not needing to stop at a gas station? I mean, this is an unbelievable time. He also has SpaceX, which is sending rockets, even this last month, to the, the space station. And so this guy is just, he's figuring out things that are just mind-blowing. At the same time, he has interesting things going on in his family and with his employees. He has the same human struggles that all of us have. And as one person has said, even if you can put a man on the moon, all you can really do is still stare back at the earth. And he hopes to ultimately put people on Mars because he's concerned about our planet. And he says, if this whole planet goes to pot, we got to have an alternative. So he's hoping to have an entire city on Mars. The only thing I want to say is, even if he's able to pull that off, it'll still be the same people with the same problems and the same issues. That's what he's saying. There's nothing new. Nothing new ultimately breaks through all that. And he says nothing will be remembered. You know, I, I don't know if you can relate to this, but when I was a youth pastor in the 80s, I remember that I would talk to our kids when I was passing out sheets for the retreat we were going to take up in Lake and Illinois, and I said, uh, this is going to be a non-Walkman retreat. Now, there's a phrase that no longer is popular. <laughs> and so the kids all got that part, but then I said, and they said, well, why, man? We want our tunes. We want our music and stuff like that. We've got to listen to something. And I said, because this is going to be a Walton's experience, okay? Now, some of you, the minute I just said that, that made no sense to you. <laughs> But it made a lot of sense to me at 24 years old because that show had been on for like 10 or 12 years when I was a kid. But the junior high and high school kids I was talking to, you know the, the, what they said to me? Who are the Waltons? <laughs> I thought, oh my goodness, one of the biggest shows on TV, gone. It's not even remembered. Most of us don't even know the names of our great-great-grandparents. Think about this. So all our time here on earth, all our work, all our labor, all our toil, Will it last? A hundred years from now, will anything be remembered like that? He's just saying, you need to be honest about that. You got to pay attention to that. Second thing is uh, he talks about all our wisdom, verses 12 through 18. So he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind. That word applied, by the way, he's not talking about I tried it. That word has a thoroughness and an intensity to it. You need to know. He's saying, I went all out to try and understand this stuff. These are hard realities. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. That's that same idea, under the sun, and then under the heavens is used three times. Under the sun is used 29 times. Under the heavens is used three, the book of Ecclesiastes. Again, you picture this place, okay? What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. First mention of God. He'll mention God 40 times. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. In other words, we can't undo some of these things that are wrong, that are crooked. I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Now, again, I told you that I think this is Solomon writing this. Let me just show you several verses in 1 Kings 3, 1 Kings 4, and 1 Kings 10. First, this is what happened. God said to him, he appeared to him and said, I'll give you anything you ask for. 
Solomon said, then I asked for a wise and discerning heart to govern your people. God says, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that you, so that there will never, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Now that's a huge statement. <laughs> now then, 1 Kings 4. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. I'm going to guess he got even better than a 36 on the ACT, okay? <laughs> Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. And here's the last one in 1 Kings 10. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king on earth. People from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. This guy had this ability to look and understand mysteries and understand facts and things about nature and animals and all kinds of things. And he was wise in human eyes. This is an awesome thing. But here's what he says. Those are my credentials, but I just want to tell you. So I applied myself to use human wisdom to figure out these complexities and hard realities. And here's what he ultimately says um, in verse 17 and 18. He says, then I applied myself, again, a thorough, intense application to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the uh, the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. Now, what does he say here? If you're following along, all our wisdom can't change reality and increases sorrow. He says, here's what I'm learning. If I was as smart as the smartest person that's ever lived, I still can't change what's crooked. I still can't change reality. And actually, wisdom is a two-edged sword the more you know, there are times you wish you didn't know what you learned. There are things that are so painful and so hard in this world, I wish I wasn't as wise as I was. There's limits to wisdom is what he's saying. That our human wisdom left to ourselves, we do not have the ability to understand and explain or even change the things we see. And he's saying, I'm prodding you. I'm goading you. Do you see that? that was, that's been my experience. He's saying, I talked to you about examples from nature when it comes to work. I'm going to talk to you about my own experience when it comes to wisdom. And again, I don't know uh, if you've ever heard of this guy, but this blew, blew, me, it blew me away. I have a son who's getting his PhD in math right now, and so is his wife. And so we're not sure we'll ever be able to talk to our grandkids if they have children. <laughs> but... It says, on March 14, 2004, Daniel Temet broke the European record for reciting pi from memory. Pi is the mathematical constant that is the ratio of a circle's circumference to its diameter. For five hours and nine minutes, he recited 22,514 digits. That's 3.14 and the rest without error. Temet suffers from, if that's the appropriate phrase, Asperger's syndrome. This condition allows him to be extraordinary in activities such as memorizing numbers and learning languages. He learned Icelandic in a week. Such brilliance, however, has its drawbacks. In his memoir, Born on a Blue Day, Inside the Extraordinary Mind of Autistic Savant, he recalls, I still remember vividly uh, the experience I had as a teenager lying on the floor of my room staring up at the ceiling. I was trying to picture the universe in my head to have a concrete understanding of what everything was. 
In my mind, I traveled to the edges of existence and I looked over them wondering what I would find. In that instant, I felt really unwell and I could feel my heart beating hard inside of me because for the first time, I had realized that thought and logic had limits and could only take a person so far. This realization frightened me and it took me a long time to come to terms with it. Now, I'm not as smart as that guy or as Solomon, but they're goading us to understand that if you try and play human wisdom all the way out, you're going to come up short. You're going to come up unsatisfied. And so he's pushing us. And so what does Solomon do the rest of this book? He takes us through. He's a tour guide uh, in a way. And he takes us through different things uh, that he does to try and understand and look for meaning. Uh, Zach Eswin says this. I think this is so good. Imagine two persons who work as tour guides of Poland. As you listen and see various sites, both guides give marvelous information regarding what is joyous and what is historically tragic as you travel through Warsaw or out to Auschwitz. But one guide possesses a qualitative difference from the other. This guide seems more melancholy, more deep in the eyes when speaking. It feels as if there is something more to the tour for him than just the facts. During an afternoon break, you learn that this guide and his family lived through much of this history. The other guide does not have this heritage. The facts are the same, but the experience of those facts differs. And we who hear these two speak can feel it. And I tell you that because Solomon is going to talk about these things, not from an, a lack of experience, but he's going to say, I walk through this deeply. And now I'm going to talk to you about it as I try and lead you through this tour. So if you're following along, Solomon will explore intellectualism, hedonism, and materialism. He will explore, among other things, intellectualism, hedonism, and materialism. What do I mean by those three words? Those are isms and big words. What do I mean? The first one, intellectualism means that by learning, we will ultimately find answers to give us meaning and peace and satisfaction in life. In other words, I'll just get smarter, and by learning, and by education, and by all these things, I'll ultimately be able to find meaning, peace, and satisfaction in life. What's hedonism? Hedonism is this whole thing of living by our feelings, living for pleasure. And that means that somehow by pleasure-seeking, we will find meaning and peace and satisfaction in life. Play that all the way out, he says. I'm going to do that. Then he says, materialism that I will build, or I will buy, or I will acquire, or I will experience all that is made of material in this world, and somehow I will find peace, meaning, and satisfaction in life. So I'm going I'm to explore that with you in this book, and let's see where it goes. And I'll just tell you what ultimately he says here. If you're following along like chasing the wind, these leave him empty and unsatisfied. Like chasing the wind, these leave him empty and unsatisfied. Can you picture someone, have you ever pictured this? If I was doing this all the time and you were standing next to me, uh, you would think I was a crazy man, right? And they, what are you doing, Jeff? I'm chasing the wind. And you just go, um, that's pretty productive. <laughs> so why? Because it eludes you. It's not that you can't feel it. It's you cannot contain it. You cannot ultimately capture it and bring it under your control. And so 
part of Ecclesiastes is bringing us to a place of humility where we are honest about the hard realities of life and how we see the world. So I want to close with that last section in the notes if you're following along. Just for today is how do I see the world? And you'll notice that there's a couple possibilities, A and B. But before I show you those, I want to tell you about something I experienced. Uh, one of my professors when I was younger did something I thought of I've never forgotten. If you've never seen this, I think we have a picture of this. I'm holding it, one in my hand uh, of a toilet paper roll. It's empty. Uh, and again, you may have seen those at your house. And um, <laughs> he took one of these. And here's another picture where you can see down the cylinder a little bit more. My outstanding photography made that possible. But anyway, when you take this, he said, there's a couple ways of looking at life, really only two. He said, if you take this toilet paper roll and you put your hands over both ends, you see life as a closed system. That means that all that really exists is this material world. Uh, and everything inside of it is all that matters. There's nothing outside of that cylinder. He said, but the other way to look at life is to believe that it's an open system. Therefore, that there can be an interaction between the outside and the inside. And I've never forgotten that because he said, if this is all there is inside this, then the same things are going to happen over and over and over again with no interruption. There's no possibility of miracles. There's no possibility of any of those things. All that happens is what's going on inside there. That picture is what I want you to think about as we think about these last two questions. A, do I believe that life under the sun is all there is. And if you do, be honest about it. Because that may be where you're at this morning. I don't assume that just because a person comes and sits in a church building, that they believe that there's more than life under the sun. Maybe that's where you've come to. Maybe that's what you're concluding. But whatever it is, be honest what your place is today as you look at all this together with us. Do I believe that life under the sun is all there is? If so, play that all the way out. That's what Solomon did. And he said, you know, I've got to come to certain conclusions. Or B, do I believe there's one above and beyond the sun? Do I believe that there's one? Is there anything beyond the sun? Is there anything above the sun? Again, I'm just asking you to come to terms with where you are. How do you see the world? Because here's why this matters. The way you see the world will determine how you deal with the hard realities. Friends, if you've never had something slap you in the face, like the death of a loved one, if you've never had a doctor look at you and say something to you that absolutely shrinks your future immediately, if you've never lost everything in a business deal, if you've never had one of your kids say, I no longer believe in God, that until that point, this will all just be information. But in those moments, those hard realities strip away everything except how we see the world. And so I bring this up because if I were to stop here, I would be remiss because Ecclesiastes isn't the only book of the Bible. We just finished saying that all scripture points to who, friends? Jesus. And so... The Bible teaches us that later in the Gospel of Luke, 
Jesus would say something like this in Luke eleven thirty one: The queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now read this with me. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. And what he's saying is, is everything Solomon taught, all the wisdom that he was showing, there's someone greater than Solomon who is here. Someone who is from above and beyond the sun, who came to live life under the sun to show us that there could be life through the sun. And if that's true, friends, if that's true, then our work is no longer meaningless because his work, because of his work, now he's come to do something new. And when he does something new, he does something that's remembered. And then he invites us, all who trust in him, to be part of his workforce. And now the things that we do can be new. They can be meaningful. They can be remembered. The Bible teaches us that if we trust in Christ, even a cup of cold water given in his name is not meaningless. That it, those who labor in the Lord, their labor is not meaningless or in vain, but it has eternal consequences. That means that now a human being, three million years from now, their life can still be significant. And it also means that if, in fact, he came from the outside, it means that his wisdom, he becomes our wisdom, and he can change reality, and he can ultimately break out of life under the sun so that we live life under the sun differently. I don't know about you, the more I study Ecclesiastes, the more beautifully Jesus shines. But I want to ask you where you are today. Where do you start? So I want to ask you to bow your head, and I want to ask you, what are the hard realities? What are the hard questions that maybe you've had in your life? Has something happened to you that has derailed you or stripped you of what you thought was true? Is there an exception that you thought would never happen to you that has? And the question is, is how are you going to look at that? Is there any hope? I did a funeral yesterday, and I said in there that Ephesians 2 describes people who are without hope and without God in the world. And if that's you, bring that before God today, and if you're not even sure he exists, say, if you exist outside life under the sun, would you make yourself known to me? But come to him and at least be quiet in this time and think about where you are today.